0: But sharpen iron. This is the Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. All right, everybody, how's it going? We're going to get uh, back into Matthew 24. <laughs> And uh we're, we are going through this. I know it's a little slow, but we're going through it. I'm weeding out a lot of other you know other things that I wouldn't would normally say um, that I have said in the past, or I've included so many details in past episodes that I'm trying to make it a little shorter that way it's a little easier for you guys to take in. So we're gonna be getting in here then on this part. Of the tribulation. Now, I want to read real fast though, just to uh, just to get back um, our footing here with twenty-four the Olivet discourse. I got this Kingdom Bible, and it's taken certain phrases and words and changed them uh, to to make it make it more of a first century. So, um, at the beginning, Jesus setting there, and he says, "Truly I say to you, there." Uh, There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he sat down, sat on the Mount of Olives. The, The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, all right, this is his questions. And I like the way this is put. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your presence and of the completion of the old covenant age? That's good. All right, so... Keep that in mind as we go through this. I don't know if I've mentioned that already or not. I know I've reworded it before, but I like this translation here, and it's cool. So, here on this episode, we are going to be looking at twenty-one through twenty-nine, um, and you know, we'll, I'll go ahead and just look here at twenty-one when he says, "For then there will be great tribulation, such as, w- uh, such as was." Not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever will be that's important- it's like those are gonna be this one <laughs> it's never been it's never been like this before until this time, nor will there ever be, which is saying i i believe will never be like one this again, okay so now remember dispensational eschatology we've covered that at the beginning of the series the entire scheme of it has no roots in historic christian interpretation of the scriptures okay now according to preterist which is i'm i'm coming from uh i'm that's the angle I'm coming from on this Matthew 24 according to preterist uh, the great tribulation was the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army in 70 AD. All right. Now this has also been the belief of Christians throughout the history of the church until the last uh, 150 years or so, maybe 180, but that's about it. Okay. So is this great tribulation, something that looms in our future or is it a past event? Now, Is Matthew 24 talking about an event that's still yet future or something that happened in the time of the disciples, right? I believe the Great Tribulation is past, and it happened in the first century. Now, that does not mean that bad things cannot happen or they will not happen. Indeed, there is room for bad things. Look at the state of America, the United States today. It's only a matter of time, (laughs) whether it is... 10 years or 40 years or a little bit longer but I would say at some point this nation is going to implode on itself and somebody's going to have to pick it up and restart this place again um this is the longest that it's it's you know obviously it's the longest it's lasted but nations only last so so far before this stuff starts taking place the stuff that we're seeing right now this human secularism and postmodern thought of subjective truth and, and whatnot. If your truth is your truth and that's fine, I have mine and so forth and so on. So bad things will happen. Uh, And, you know, you should know that by now. I've, I think I've made that, that statement before. Um, nevertheless, I believe the tribulation has passed. It's happened. Um, And and again, we have this whole thing of a seven-year tribulation and all that. We're sticking right here with Matthew 24, with what Jesus has said. So Jesus is answering the disciples' questions about the destruction of Jerusalem. They wanted to know when it would be destroyed and what signs would precede the end of the age and his uh, parousia, which is presence, okay? So, so far... In the study, we have been given two signs. The gospel would be preached to all nations, and and they would see the abomination of desolation. We've also seen that both of these things happened in the first century, and the disciples saw these things come to pass. So after talking about the abomination of desolation, which was Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Jesus talks about this tribulation. Um a great one at that, okay? Because he says there will be great tribulation. And That doesn't mean it has to be called the great tribulation, but he says there will be great tribulation. It doesn't matter. I'm just trying to show you, okay? <laughs> so, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Then is when, within a few thousand years. The then is referring to the context of verses 15 through 20 when you see the abomination of desolation, which Luke tells us is Jerusalem, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Okay, we've already saw that this happened in 67 AD. The Roman general laid siege to Jerusalem. So the great tribulation is not an event yet future to us it was then during that siege by the romans within the first century and this should be made abundantly clear in the parallel text in luke's gospel luke 21 20 through 24 but when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation is near then let those who are in judea flee to the mountains let those who are In the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and and those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led away captive into all nations, And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So notice who, in particular, verse 23 says the tribulation will come upon. All right. Um, uh, The land. (laughs) Um, Did I say 23? Uh, Those are in Judea and all that. But it says the land, which is Jerusalem, and this people refers to first century Jews, not the future world. And then it gives us added details as to exactly what will happen in this great time of tribulation. And we'll look at it uh, more closely at those details here in a minute. But let's examine Luke 21, 22. "For For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Luke is here is telling us that all things which are written will be fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem. And what's he mean by that? All things which are written. This refers to, to prophecy. And all prophecy was to be f- fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem. And Daniel tells us the same thing. Daniel 9, 24 Seventy weeks are determined for, you, for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to atone the most holy. Daniel was told that 70 weeks had been determined on Israel and the city Jerusalem, and by the end of this prophetic time period, God promised that uh, things would be accomplished. One of the things that Daniel was told would would happen by the end of uh, of that period was that God would seal up uh, vision and prophecy. The Hebrew commentaries are in agreement on the meaning. It says it's the end in uh, the end and complete fulfillment of biblical uh, prophecy. Uh, there, so Daniel's prophecy tells us that that of the time when um, prophecy would would cease to be given and would be given, and what had been given would be fulfilled. All right. So, it's, and what is it? It's Daniel's vision. It ends with the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in seventy A.D. So, time out. I'm not talking about prophecy. In general, talking about Daniel's prophecy, fulfillment, the end of Daniel's prophecy his the end and complete fulfillment of that. Uh, I don't believe it's prophecy in general. I am a continuationist. Uh, I do not believe the Holy Spirit has ceased um, to, to work. Um, in fact, I believe the cessationist argument is, uh, especially when you get really hard-lined, is dangerous because they don't even believe the Holy Spirit will really talk or point things out to you while you're reading the scripture. They don't believe you're going to even hear his illumination or revelation come to you while you're studying the word in your mind. They don't believe that at all. Those are really hardliners there. Now, others obviously believe that the Holy Spirit still works and draws people in. And I would say that's the bit like, Hey, if there is a cessation, if it has ceased, it's not just spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit would have to cease too. Therefore, nobody could be saved. Uh, so, therefore, there is not a complete cessation of the things that um, are talked about. But um, I won't belabor the point. I'm just saying um, this isn't, I'm not saying here uh, prophecy ceased, saying this prophecy ceased, okay? Daniel 9, 26, says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. All right. So it, so Luke is is saying the same thing that Daniel said, which is that that at the time Jerusalem is destroyed, Prophecy will be fulfilled. Okay, um, so that is this um, the presence, the parousia. Um There's also other things that we could talk about there. I don't want to confuse people, but there's a resurrection. But we know there's we, we can't uh, throw that to the side because there were saints that were resurrected at time at the time that Jesus was crucified, tombs were opened, and the saints walked into the city. Okay, so um, that's all I'm going to say at this point. But there's also the new heavens and earth, the spiritual Jerusalem, which is us, the body, and and, and our bodies. Um, everything prophesied to Israel would be fulfilled at the time of this destruction. All right, Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, uh, watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. All right? Does that sound familiar? You know, we just read it in Matthew 24, 21. It's what Jesus said. So <clears throat> note on on not, not going off, not going into, into all the the historical stuff here it was the destruction of jerusalem as the context of this and the parallel gospel accounts that makes it abundantly clear and as jesus said there will never be anything to equal it right our G- jesus our savior wept at the foresight of these calamities um and, and it 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 If you read into the historical accounts from Josephus it's sort of hard to keep yourself from weeping over it as well but Josephus said this to speak in brief no other city ever suffered such things as no other generation from the beginning of the world was even more fruitful of wickedness so the Great Tribulation is behind us it's an event in history it was with the destruction of jerusalem it came came the fulfillment of prophecy we live in a never-ending age of the new covenant the new jerusalem the new heavens and earth of revelation 21 and 22. so with that being said let's go to the next verse and unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake those days will be shortened now josephus does compute the number of those who perished in the siege um, at 1,100,000, besides those who were slain in other places. And if the Romans had gone on destroying in this manner, the whole nation of Jews would certainly, in just a little amount of time, would have been eliminated. Now, the word saved here is not a reference to redemption, but to actual physical deliverance from the city, Had the war gone on much, much longer, no one would have been left alive, right? Um, But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Mark puts it this way in 1320. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath hath chosen, the Lord has shortened the days, right? Now, the elect is a well-known designation in scripture for Christians, okay? That's all I'm I'm not taking the calvinist approach here. This is all those who are uh, believers, all right? So through through the fury of the zealots on one hand and then the hatred of the Romans on the other, and partly through the difficulty of enduring the mountains without house houses or provisions, everybody would have been destroyed either by the by a sword or by famine. If those days had not been shortened, okay. So, um, is providentially, the days were shortened by the Lord. And Josephus said, Titus himself um, was um, desirous of putting a speedy end to the siege, having Rome and the riches and the pleasures there before his eyes. Some of his officers. Proposed to him to turn the siege into a blockade, and since they could not take the city by storm, to starve it into a surrender. But he thought it not becoming to sit still with so great an army, and he feared lest the length of the time should diminish the glory of his, his success. Everything indeed may be affected in time, but speed contributes much to the fame and splendor of actions." all right and it's sort of sort of hard to follow it's old but the Jews helped to shorten the days too by their divisions and their mutual slaughters they burned their own provisions uh which would have lasted for 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 years but they burned them and uh also by des- by deserting their strongholds where they could uh, never have been taken by force uh, in famine alone. So by these means, the days were shortened. Otherwise, Jerusalem could have never been taken in such a short time. Uh, it it was uh, well fortified and able to, s- to sustain a much longer siege. The Romans could have uh, could, could hardly ever have prevailed, but for the factions and and all that within. Titus himself ascribed his success to God um, as he was viewing the fortifications after the city was taken. His words to his friends were very um, remarkable because he says, we have fought with God on our side and it is God who hath pulled the Jews out of these strongholds for what could the hands of men or machines avail against these towers? God therefore in the opinion of Titus himself, as well as the inspi- inspired writers, shorten the days according to historical records. So it wasn't Jerusalem alone, but all over the country, that the war waged, and it had gone on. Um, many of the Christians who fled to the uh, outlying areas uh, would also also been in danger. So the next one, if if anyone says to you, look. Here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. So Jesus had cautioned his disciples against false Christs and false prophets, but he gives here a more specific caution against them about the time of the siege and destruction at Jerusalem. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And so we learn from Josephus that many such imposters did arise, about that time and promised deliverance from god and being persuaded by the tyrants or governors to uh prevent the people and soldiers from deserting to the romans um and the worse was the, the the jews situation the more open they would be to listen to all of these deceptions the more ready to follow the deceivers then so um there, there's plenty of historical writings, and, and, and Eusebius mentions the coming of false Christs and prophets at the exact same time as well. And the they they were so convincing that if it were possible, they would have even decide uh, deceived the elect. Um, this all it's all there. there. John Levi was in the temple. He he's the one who convinced them to burn all their food and all their provisions and so they listened to him they said burn it i'll still i'll feed you we'll take care of it um because he was claiming to be a false christ and they believed him so it's funny that all these false Christs, these messiahs would show up and the jews would receive them but they rejected the one and only true messiah and had him crucified so um also some of these several of them led their followers into the desert Uh, Many imposters and cheats persuaded the people to follow them into the desert where they promised to show manifest wonders and signs done by the providence of God, and many persuaded uh, suffered the punishment of their folly. For Felix brought them back and chastised them, Josephus says. And again, uh, in his history of the Jewish war, he speaking of the same people, he says that these imposters under a pretense of divine inspiration affecting innovations and changes, persuaded the multitude to grow mad and led them forth into the desert, as if God were there um, to show them signs of liberty. Against these, Felix, for it seemed to be the foundation of a revolt, sent horse and foot soldiers and slew a great number of them. He also mentions another imposter, Who promised salvation to the people and a cessation of all evils if they would follow him into the desert. But Festus sent horse and foot soldiers against him and destroyed the deceiver himself and all those who followed him. So several of these impostors led their followers into the desert into secret chambers or places of security. And Josephus mentioned a false prophet who declared to the people in the city that God commanded them to go up into the temple, and there they should receive the signs of deliverance. And a multitude of men, women, and children went up accordingly. But instead of deliverance, the place was set on fire by the Romans, and 6,000 perished in the flames, or by throwing themselves down to escape the fire. All right, so um, I'm sure you can understand that during such a time of distress, the people would be open to hear and follow anyone who promised them deliverance from those types of miseries, and that is exactly what happened. Now, verse 27 says, "For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be, uh, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be." All right, so his presence, his parousia, will not be in this or in that particular place, but like the lightning, it's sudden, it seems. The appearance of the true Christ will be clearly distinguishable from that of the false Christ. And again, Josephus says, The Roman army entered into Judea on the east side of it and carried on their conquest westward, as if not only the extensiveness of the ruin, but the very route which the army would take. It was intended in the the comparison, or he says, was intended in the comparison of the lightning coming out of the east and shining even unto the west. So while that may be true, I I think that Christ's emphasis here based on the immediate context, context is that his coming would be swift and uh, universal judgment there. It's a coming and judgment coming on the clouds. So what this verse tells us is that the Lord's coming will be like lightning in some manner. So there is a comparison here, for as, the, the phrase for as and the phrase so also. The, wor- the word coming here is the Greek word parousia. And it is used four times by Matthew, all of them, <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter four. And this is the same word the disciples used in their, in their question to Jesus when they asked, what will be the sign of your coming? So remember um, uh, from earlier that as we compare all three gospel accounts of this question, you see that the disciples considered his coming and the end of the age to be identical events with the destruction of Jerusalem. So, to the disciples, the parousia was not used of a second coming, but signified the full manifestation of his messiahship and a glorious appearing in authority and power. So, we, we could translate it this way. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the glorious appearing in authority and power be of the Son of Man. So what does the ideal of lightning tell us? Uh, The futurists futurists interpret the ideal of lightning as something visible to the whole world, but usually lightning is a local event. Uh, Can a flash of lightning uh, be seen by the whole world? No, but it can possibly be seen by a whole city. So I think comparing Scripture with Scripture, which is known as the uh, uh, analogy of faith, that we can see that lightning refers to God's judgment, not to a bright light of glory that everyone will see all over the whole world. Because in in the Old Testament passage, passages, we see local judgments of God described by the use of lightning. All right, so Second Samuel 22, 14, and 15 says, The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them lightning bolts and he vanquished them now the hebrew word for lightning is barak and it means lightning in psalms 18:14 he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe lightnings in abundance and he vanquished them zechariah 9:14 then the lord will be seen over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning the lord god will blow the trumpet and go with Whirlwinds from the south. Now, the Greek word for lightning in Matthew 24 27 means lightning, um, means glare. It's uh, lightning, bright shining. The same Greek word is also used in other passages that speak of judgment. So it seems to me that when Jesus compares his coming to lightning, that he is saying that his coming will be seen in judgment. So the next verse, 28, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Well, the Jewish Jewish nation was a carcass, which was morally and judicially dead, and the Romans descended upon it, and it devoured it. And this language is also seen in the judgment language of the Old Testament as well. I won't go over them, but I'll mention them. Um, Habakkuk 1, 6 and 8, isaiah forty six ten and eleven jeremiah seven thirty three thirty four and hosea eight and one if you want to look those up so the victories of the Romans were not confined to the city of Jerusalem, but like a flood, it overran the whole land, so wherever the Jews are, there will be Christ uh there will Christ be taking vengeance upon them by the Romans and Josephus again says. There was no part of Judea which did not partake of the calamities of the capital city. At Antioch, the Jews being falsely accused accused of a a design to burn the city, many of them were burnt in the theater and others were slain. The Romans pursued and took and slew them everywhere. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, understand this is figurative language. If one star would actually fall from heaven and hit, hit the earth, it would destroy it all. So uh, modern commentators generally understand this and what follows as the end of the world. But the words immediately after the tribulation of those days show that Jesus is not speaking of any distant event, but something immediately following the tribulation just mentioned, which would be the destruction of Jerusalem. The word immediately in Greek means directly, at once or soon, as soon as, forthwith, immediately, shortly, straightway. So notice carefully when this takes place, immediately after the tribulation of those days is what it says, those days, right? So we've seen that the tribulation has happened uh, between 67 and 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. So whatever this verse is referring to happened immediately afterward. So if you're not familiar with apocalyptic language of the Old Testament, you're not going to understand what Jesus is saying here. This language is common among the Old Testament prophets, and this ideal is seen clearly as we look at passages where um, where mention is made of the destruction of a state and government using language, which seems to set forth the end of the world. All right, Isaiah 13, 1, the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw. In this chapter, God is talking about the judgment that is to fall upon Babylon. So the word burden is the Hebrew word m- uh, massa, which means an, an utterance or chiefly a doom. And this introduction sets the stage for the subject matter in Isaiah 13. Um, and if we forget things like this, then our interpretations of a chapter like I, I, Isaiah 13 can can go just about anywhere our imagination will allow it to go. So it's this is not an oracle against the universe or the entire world, but against the nation of Babylon, all right? So um, he, he, he is speaking about this destruction, but it sounds like a worldwide destruction, all right? The terminology of context cannot be expanded beyond the scope of the subject under discussion within its context, all right? So the spectrum of language cannot go outside the land of Babylon. If you were a Babylonian and Babylon was destroyed, Um, your world then would would have been destroyed, right? So this this is an historical event that took place in 539 BC. Um, It's when the Medes destroyed Babylon um, and the Babylonian world came to an end. So this destruction is said in verse six to be from God, the Almighty, and the Medes constitute the means that God uses to accomplish the task. And this is apocalyptic language. This is the way the Bible discuss discusses the fall of a nation. So it's figurative language. God did not intend for us to take this stuff literally. If we take it literally, then we could say that the world ended in 539 BC, but we know that's not the case. All right. So the biblical evidence is overwhelming. The Olivet discourse in its entirety is speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. And the only the only thing that would make us push any of these things into the future are our own presuppositions of what we've been grown up and taught with by the rapture left behind in dispensationalism, Antichrist, the mark, all those things, all right? In this vivid language here, Jesus is describing what would take place within their lifetime so when the tribulation was over physical israel ceased to exist god's people were no longer distinguished by physical birth but by spiritual birth alone and the old covenant was over and the new covenant fully instituted All right, there you go. There's a little bit more on Matthew 24. Any questions, comments, disagreements, send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be leaven. Thank you for listening.